Hey parents, welcome to Dear Reading Teacher, a podcast where I empower my fellow parents who want to teach their child to read and help you better navigate the early reading landscape today. I'm your host and your reading teacher, Elizabeth Ford. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope today's episode with my lovely guest, Honey Bee Literacy, gives you the confidence to teach your child to read. This is episode three, Speech Development Affects Early Readers. It is back to school time for most American students and teachers, so I just want to pause and say I wish everyone a joy-filled and truly engaging school year. Today, I am happy to be here with Tanija Burney, a certified speech language pathologist and founder of Honey Bee Literacy, LLC. Tanija is a SLP, a speech language pathologist focused on the pediatric population and working with dyslexia and other reading disabilities. So I am delighted to have her here. Welcome, Tanija. For having me. I'm so excited. Yay. How are you doing today? I am doing great. I am excited to talk about speech language pathology and our role in literacy and just educating parents. Sounds great. Where are you talking to us from today? Yeah, so I'm located in Metro Detroit, Michigan. Um, We service the Southeast Michigan population here. That's awesome. All right. I've never been to Detroit, but it is definitely on my list of cities I definitely want to go to. For any yeah, lots of good things to do there. Yeah, I've heard that. For anyone that may need it, can you please describe the role of a speech language pathologist overall? Yes. Yeah, so speech language pathologists support individuals across the lifespan, starting from infancy, going through adulthood, and all the way to end of life. We support areas such as speech, language, literacy, voice, cognition, swallowing, and fluency. So we have a pretty broad field. Wow. I didn't even think about end-of-life speech needs, but Mm -hmm. that's so real. Like, I I have someone in my life with dementia, and she does have a speech-language pathologist on her team, but we haven't gotten to the point where I feel like, you know, it's that, that, you know, provider is primary. All right, but thank yes, you for they that. they do so much with all of that. Like with dementia, we can actually make memory aids and books. So um, your loved ones with dementia can actually look through the book and see that, hey, this is my daughter and have a picture of you. Memory and aids. It, all of that can be made prior through prior to the progression of the disease um, so that they have all these supplement so that they're not asking all these questions and not knowing the answer they have a book that they can reference um so it's amazing to get them involved early on because they help them you know take part in their lives and do activities that they love and keep them active so um yeah there's a lot that we can do to support the dementia population Tanisha, I said that I would be learning from you and I'm already taking notes. <laughs> okay, so let's pivot. How is your role connected to early reading? Yeah, so we support children's development of speech sounds, language, executive functioning, and literacy skills, which are all connected to reading. When we think about the task of reading, we're taking in language in its written form and connecting those written graphemes to phonemes, so those small units of sound. And we're sustaining attention to the written words. We're drawing inferences from the text. And those are just a few of the many things that we do when we read. And SLPs are able to support all of those skills necessary to read, write, and as well as build the foundational skills necessary for reading success. So we're there every step of the way. You guys sound like reading teachers. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not teachers, but... um, a lot of one-on-one um, is what I do, but um, there are some SLPs who do a lot of group work. So Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. When should a parent feel comfortable starting early reading instruction with just sounds, basically building their phonemic awareness? Yes. So children are typically introduced to phonemic awareness tasks in kindergarten. And for people who don't know, these are activities where they are segmenting, blending, or manipulating sounds in some capacity. Um, For example, Elizabeth, I'm going to recruit you for this task. (laughs) Okay. Say star. Star. 
Now say star without the tar. Absolutely. And this activity would be appropriate for this age group because many of them would have developed their consonants. We have to look at their phonetic inventory when we're doing tasks like this, what sounds are already in their system. Um, but when you're looking at children who are younger than kindergarten age, you can definitely introduce it during more play-based activities. Um, so this could look like you're having a pretend picnic and you're bringing along items that begin with. So you could say, oh, I'm going to bring a cake. Oh, I'm going to pack some cookies. Oh, let's eat some carrots. All of those things to kind of bring in that sound awareness while they're playing so they don't really <laughs> notice that they're learning. But keeping it fun and play-based when they're younger because that is how children learn. They learn through play. Awesome. Thank you for that. Many people have different opinions on this question. So from the speech-language pathologist perspective, when do you think parents should feel comfortable starting early reading instruction with printed letters if they're like a homeschooler or just wanting to prepare their child for school? Mm -hmm. So I say that it really depends on what way they're trying to incorporate the printed letter. Um, for example, we're introducing letters when we're singing the ABCs with our child. That's something that you can do early on. Um, when they're doing those alphabet puzzles, which also helps them with their fine motor skills, excellent activity to introduce those printed letters. If you're expecting them to read the printed letters, again, I would probably not expect them to be able to do that until around kindergarten age. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they can't. Um, some children can. Um, but the way that I would introduce it is maybe keeping keeping the printed letters and referencing whatever item that you're playing with. Um, so like, you know, those puzzles that are labeled with like cookie and there's a picture of a cookie and you could talk about the sounds. You could still have that label and that picture support. Again, that's not where we're actually teaching reading because reading needs to be explicit. You don't use pictures to actually teach reading. But when children are younger, that wouldn't be my main focus. The letters might be there, but we're not focusing in on those letters necessarily. We're focusing on building language. So how can I make your sentences longer? How can I make sure that we're referencing different speech sounds by doing those phonemic awareness activities during play-based activities? Um, again, like it wouldn't be my primary focus to make sure that they can read that. Um, we might do some book reading together and talk about the rhyming words, building that phonological awareness. Um, we have a lot of different rhyming books available. I think even that book that I um, put on my Instagram this week, My Faith is Fresh, um, that book actually includes some rhymes. So you could talk about the rhyme in that story. Um, so there's a lot of ways to still incorporate those printed letters without that being the main focus. We really want to make sure that they have a strong language foundation. I hear that. And I feel like... Um... Mm -hmm you know, to synthesize what you were saying initially, especially about the sound work is really like not making it about this abstract symbol, right? These letters mm -hmm. are too abstract for the children. Um, and it sounds like if you are going to use the abstract symbol, grounding them with real objects and things that are real to them so that they're still connecting, you know, what we're eventually going to add meaning to, to the symbol back to reality you know when the, the original form of communication for us humans which is speech <laughs> yes exposing it to them um so yeah it wouldn't be the primary focus but you could still use books please use books <laughs> mm -hmm. and using books absolutely <laughs> yeah. okay so this is like I think the meat of why listeners hopefully came to listen to this particular episode but what are the signs in early speech that a child may struggle with early reading skills? Yes, yeah, so children with language disorders and speech sound disorders are shown to later struggle with reading. Um, it's a possibility, it's not always a guarantee. Research has shown that 55% of children with dyslexia can be classified as having a language disorder. And another research study found that over 25% of children receiving speech services in the schools for articulation also struggled with word decoding. So speech, language, and literacy are all connected. 
But with those two categories that I gave you, language disorders, some, some signs of that could be that your child is not communicating. Maybe they're one and they haven't said their first word yet. Maybe they're two and they're not doing two word phrases. Um, those are some things to really look at. Um, for speech sounds, some things may be that you're having trouble understanding them or other people are having trouble understanding them. And you're often being that in between to help them communicate their message. Um, them saying sounds incorrectly. So maybe they're replacing their L's with W's. So instead of leaf, it comes out as weef. Um, those are some things. And if you notice, many of those things are also on the signs for dyslexia. When you look up on websites, they'll have a list of um, things to look out for. And many of those things are speech and language disorders. Sorry, I'm typing. No, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> um, and I could talk a little bit more about language too. Um, for language disorders, we often split those into two different categories, um, just to make it a little bit more simple. Um, expressive is more of how you're communicating your message. So for us, that might be orally. We're talking back and forth on this podcast. Um, for kids who are deaf and hard of hearing, that would be signing. Um, receptive communication, that is how we're taking in that message. So auditory comprehension is something that we look at for a lot of kids. Um, so if children are struggling in those areas, think about when you're reading a child a story and they're listening, are they able to comprehend that message versus when you have a child who struggles with reading and they're reading that book, but then they're struggling with that message. It's more so in that literacy domain. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Can a speech language pathologist assess for dyslexia? Yes, we can. So speech language pathologists can evaluate and diagnose dyslexia. I actually get this question pretty often. Um, we use a uh, we utilize a battery of standardized assessments um, to analyze skills such as language, so that communication and expression, phonological awareness, are they able to produce and manipulate speech sounds? reading, reading comprehension, spelling, writing, reading fluency, all the things we, we look at um, just to make sure that we're making uh, a proper diagnosis and that our assessment is as comprehensive as it can be. So you're saying that all certified speech language pathologists can diagnose for dyslexia or do they need like an additional training to understand the battery of tests or do you guys all walk out if you're certified with that skill set? I just want to like dig deeper because I feel like sometimes schools, this is not a question that's on the outline. No, you're fine. Asia, but as I'm learning, right, I have more questions. Sometimes schools make it seem like they don't know how to diagnose dyslexia or in their school system. And I'm not saying you need to answer for them, but that's the context of, but every school district has certified speech language pathologists on staff or on contract. So from that perspective, they all can diagnose dyslexia. Yeah, so we all can. Um, whether or not to get really into the specifics of a school with that example that you gave me, sometimes SLPs aren't included. So that could be what is happening in that case. I have um, communicated with different families and um, different SLPs, and that is something that does happen where we aren't included. They will try to do um, reading intervention without bringing on that SLP. So we all can evaluate and diagnose. Do we all do it? Not necessarily. Um, many of us choose to specialize in different areas. Again, with my first topic, our field is broad. Right. So some That's people true. choose a specific area to specialize in, just like with any other healthcare professional. When you have a cardiologist, they might specialize in different areas in the heart. Um, but with speech-language pathologists, some of us specialize in feeding and helping new moms breastfeed their child or whatever method they're choosing to make sure that that baby is fed, they work with them. Some of us specialize in motor speech disorders. Think of apraxia. Um, that might be their area. So 
we all might branch off. So not everyone necessarily will do it, um, but we all can. That makes sense. And that was mm-hmm. not shade against speech language pathologists. That was just like, I'm no, trying I didn't to understand the human resources that most schools have already. And how can we solve the problem with what we already have resources around? And, and I think you and I have talked um, before about, you know, I don't think that, and you don't think that, correct me if I'm wrong, that, right, like they're included enough, enough, they're included enough, um, SLPs are yes. included enough in this particular conversation about this. Yes, so they, we're all in schools um, and they could definitely be a part of that evaluation doing that language diagnostics. Mm-hmm. Again, when we brought up that dyslexia, 55% of them could also have a language disorder. We should be looking in those areas. Speech sounds. Um, a lot of kids, um, I know with your last guest, she mentioned struggling with speech sounds. Um, that's another area that we can assess for uh, and treat. So they should definitely be involved in the team. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So what do you wish all parents understood about speech and language that affects early reading. And you might have said this before, but is there anything else you want to highlight? Um, I guess I might be jumping ahead of myself, but I, I just wish they were aware that there are tools to help them. <laughs> if your child is struggling with communicating their message, if they are struggling with understanding what you're saying, if they're tr- having trouble following directions, different areas like that, there is help out there. And you don't have to wait and see. I've had so many people come to me and say that my doctor said to wait. Oh, well, they said that they would. Yes, doctors. (laughs) Doctors um, said to wait. Their um, teacher had told them that everything will be okay. All these people in their life who said that, hey, it's it's not a big deal right now. Um, But it doesn't hurt to get an evaluation. And if your child is birth to three, you can get those evaluations through early on. You can also go to the ISD and they will point you in the right direction. But for children who are three and up, you can go to the school district, the ISD, and get services for your child. And those are available for homeschool parents as well. I have so many people who say, I'm homeschooling. I can't access those resources, but you can. They legally have to. So go to the ISD. Do not be afraid. Can we rewind back? Because remember, I had all these questions yes. when you mentioned it to me. And I think that it is not a well-known resource. Can you talk about, it's called Early On, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Early On is a birth to three program. Uh, It works differently in different areas, but they will essentially evaluate your child, make sure that they're getting the proper services. Um, I believe it's typically a team evaluation. Um, They definitely have SLPs. They have OTs. I believe they have PPs as well. Um, All different service providers. So if you are struggling with your child, if they're struggling with any skills, um, more so from my perspective would be the, the language, the speech sounds. Um, for younger children, um, you can access those resources through early on. And it's completely free. So you don't have to wait and see. You do not. You do not. Um, definitely get on their list. Contact them. Um, sometimes they come to your home, which is amazing resources for families who can't drive out to clinics. Um, sometimes it's at a community center or a school place building where you will drive and take your child there but it's a fantastic resource. That's awesome. Tanisha promised to share links. Hopefully one of them will be early on. (laughs) Yay. So we'll share that in the show notes. Um, I have, um, yes, you did answer the question about what tools and resources do you recommend? Um, What do you think is the role of a speech language pathologist, I guess in an ideal world? Because you've already mm-hmm. talked about, you know, you are active um, with working with children with dyslexia. But in an ideal world, what do you think the role of the speech language pathologist should be? Yes, in terms of reading and dyslexia? Yes, working with child- young children with dyslexia. So. Yeah, so I would say 
being involved, being involved with the team whenever a child is struggling with those literacy skills, just because we know from the research that they could also be struggling with language, they could be struggling with speech sounds, they could be struggling with executive functioning. And these are all areas that we play pretty huge role in. Um, it takes a team effort. So especially in schools, just making sure that every school is incorporating us because we could really help make a difference along with the other members of the team. That was so gracefully said, I like that. Um, honoring everyone else's place on the team, but saying we need a seat at the table too, please. I like that, yeah. exactly. I think that's true. I think um, I didn't realize as a special educator how much support I could have been getting from the speech language pathologist until I got to work with some really amazing ones. But by then I was at the high school level and we were like working real hard to remediate a lot of stuff. And it just, you know, was, you know, it was hard work and they were doing it with me, but I just was like, wait, what? You guys have the same goal as me. I wrote that. I, we, I wrote this. I'm working on that. She's like, so I'll work on it too. And I said, together? We'll make progress on our goal together. It's going to look like we're superheroes. She's like, sure, that's great, right? I'm like, yes. Um, So I am down for that because, I mean, really, sometimes our goals are the same, Um, at, at least from the reading teacher's perspective Um, and with the SLP. So I am down for making sure that there's always an active, awesome SLP, like having a voice at the table. What is your best tip parents can utilize at home who want to set up their toddlers for early reading success? I feel like you answered that question. Anything bonus you want to add? Yes. So I would recommend parents focus on strengthening their child's language skills by modeling language during child-led play activities. We love child-led activities. Um, And those how I said child-led, so not led by you letting them pick the activity that they want to do and supplementing the language for that. Um, so say if your child enjoys playing with cars, you can build up their vocabulary and sentence structure by modeling phrases naturally in their own environment. Yeah. And um, I feel like this is something that I took very seriously for my own child, um, just to give parents some examples of what you're talking about Tanisha, when I was, um, when Lily was younger, my child, she um, loved to talk about um, dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. So guess what vocabulary I had to learn if I wanted to be able to talk about things with her. Um, so sometimes I feel like it's in a learning experience about meeting children where they are and learning vocabulary that they care about. Um, and, you know, some of it goes out my ear, but she has trivia books on dinosaurs still. And we read them repeatedly. Um, and we're always expanding her vocabulary through that book. So she knows predators. She knew what predators and prey was before she could read, right? And like, and so that's, I think, to your point, Tanisha, which is that we can build so much knowledge and language in our children with just speech and talking to them about what they're interested in. Because she'll run away if I start talking about gardening, just so everybody knows. <laughs> Um, my, um, passion is reading and gardening and that comes out in reading garden club, but don't think that my child really actually enjoys it. Um, she's told me it's boring. Um, but to go back to what you're saying, um, yeah, she has the most vocabulary around things she's interested in. Um, and, um, narrating and talking to her about what she's interested in um, help build those skills. Um, Yes. And then that ties back into reading because I'm sure I've seen her reading um, on your page, but you can tie that into, well, this is actually what dinosaur looks like. And you can go through the different types of sources, (laughs) Tyrannosaurus, um, and talk about the morphology within each of those words and how they're all connected. Um, so she already has, she already has all that background information. <laughs> I forgot about using t- 
uh, morphology for that. I mean, we, we see it in the book. It comes up in a few places automatically because it's one of those trivia books. But you're right. I'm yes. going to blame you to Nyjah when she's like, is this kind of like a reading lesson? Because now she knows. She knows when I start talking about suffixes and prefixes a little bit. She's mm-hmm. like, can we just talk about dinosaurs? Um, but I'm going to slide that in there just a little bit, just a little bit. Blame you tonight. Yes, absolutely. Because that's how we build words. We have all these morphemes and mm-hmm. they have small units of meaning within them. And that's how we build each of those. And I'd be interested to analyze those words. Tyrannosaurus, like what Actually, yeah, find? that might what be are a those? fun challenge. Yeah. That's a wonderful idea. And I think um, you're absolutely right. We have to do it in a way that... Um, engages the children with their interests um, or it feels not fun and not like you care about what they care about. And they, they, if you want them to care about reading, got to care about something, you know, that they care about. And I think that's how we get through with them with anything we want them to learn. All right, let's talk about you tonight, When were you first introduced to what us teachers call the science of reading? Like how are speech language pathologists taught this information? Because we weren't taught it. Yeah, so <laughs> I feel that much of what I'm learning now was already based on things that I learned as a speech language pathologist. Because as we know, that language component is tied. That speech sound development piece is tied in there. Um, so all that information I learned through my coursework um, and I also worked with um, children with dyslexia when I was in graduate school. Um, so I got that hands-on piece of seeing what it looks like to work with that population. Um, afterwards, I definitely learned a lot more about what approaches people were using. I was not familiar <laughs> with what 3Qing was. It's not good. Don't use it. But <laughs> I didn't know what it was prior to that. Um, I didn't know that there was a whole balance literacy thing going on um so a lot of the stuff that I'm learning now from reading the research really ties well back to what I learned as a speech language pathologist because all of that is connected um again all of our reading and writing is another way to take in language so it's all based in the same information so um I've definitely learned a lot more afterwards um and I'm still doing a lot of digging, but I would say probably the majority has been my own, but it ties back to the foundations of what speech language pathologists learn in their coursework. That's comforting to know. I'm glad someone's getting trained from the, <laughs> from the get-go with the right information. That's awesome. Do you remember learning how to read? I do not. Um... I remember knowing how to read. Um, So as a child, a lot of my toys were actually educational. I know this sounds so fun (laughs) to everyone else who's listening, Um, but I I enjoyed it. All of my toys were like leapfrog and I was pressing on letters and I had a book where um, you would move the pen and it would read the story. (laughs) Um, So I just remember using those. I don't remember ever struggling with the words though. And I remember going to class and being bored because I knew what the words said. Um, So we were spending too much time on an area that I already knew how to do. So I would get it done and I'd sit there waiting for everyone else to finish. So I don't really remember learning how to read, but I do remember my niece learning how to read. my niece, who is a teenager now, um, she, when she was little, um, and in her preschool program, they tried to give her sight words, and back then, I was not the speech language pathologist that I am now, so we would go through the cards with her, and it definitely was just flipping and memorizing, flipping and memorizing, flipping and memorizing, and there was a program at the time, too, called My Baby Can Read. I don't know if you're familiar with that, um, but it would just be a video and you were supposed to show it to your child and it was supposed to teach, I'm using air quotes, teach, teach them how to read. And I still can hear the video in rotation in my memory of kick, kick the ball. Kick. And you would like highlight kick on the screen. Oh, <laughs> uh, and it was showing a boy running and kicking the ball and 
And she knew all the words, but she was memorizing. She was not reading. Um, it was just flash the card that says kick. She's not decoding. She's memorizing. Uh, my sister jokingly named it My Baby Can Memorize. <laughs> Wait, at the time, that's what your sister, she was aware of what was yes, happening? That's what, that's what we, oh my that, god! That's what we both said. Let's just show the video and we're all sitting there listening to it. So we would just pick, pick the, I think that was the first word. So let's that stick with Parents, me. trust <laughs> your gut. Yes. <laughs> You know what you guys are talking about. As you see your child, you're like, that's that's not raining, but great. She can memorize. Um, yes. She's a fantastic reader now, but um, definitely not due to the program. <laughs> not to that program, for sure. Um, yes. What was your relationship like with books as a child as you grew up? Yeah, so it started off with, again, I would read and I would be bored. Um, I liked the task of reading and I enjoyed it early on, but I think there was a certain point in time where I just was not being challenged with the books that I was reading. They were not advanced enough for me, I believe. Uh, We would have silent reading time in school, and I just remember having a stack of like Dr. Seuss books and reading through all of them and then sitting and waiting and realizing that everyone else was still reading. So I, I wish that someone would have taken me aside and introduced me to other books at that time, um, showing me that there was something a little bit more advanced to read. I didn't really discover that there were, I guess, bigger books until when I got to fifth grade. Um, and I read Over the Bamboo Grove. And that was my First, I would say like really big book. We did read books in class. I don't want to sound like no one ever read me anything else, but I just had never been, I guess, provided with the opportunity to read a book like that on my own. We read like Junie Moon Jones together, but I think it was fifth grade when I read Over the Bamboo Grove and I was like, wow, reading can be fun again. And all through middle school and high school, I have been reading books. I got a Kindle. <laughs> Now you're when I was reader. in what was it middle or high school? Yes, yes, and I still read when I have time, but um, it's really about finding that right book for you, and that's why when people say that they don't like reading, I'm always like, well, maybe it's the book. I if there are certain books that if you gave it to me, I wouldn't like reading either. <laughs> if you have to match your child to a book that's for them, not the book that's for you. Like my niece, she enjoys yes. reading manga, so that's type of book that I would get her um Tanija I I'm fascinated by your personal story I didn't even know we're going to go into this you know I didn't know what your Mm -hmm. answers to the questions would be but um because I feel like that is exactly the story I didn't want my daughter to go through um and I think you know I was a little bit maybe more purposeful it didn't sound like your mom made you do lessons like I called it home fun, okay, at least. I didn't call it homework. I didn't call it a lesson. I called it home fun. And she bought it until she didn't buy it. (laughs) But um, with my child, she had all the literacy toys too. So there's tons of exposure, right? Like I read aloud. I did all the things that I advised parents to do. I was like the bookworms that was like, oh, I want to read that book too, Lily. Like, let's go. So she had the perfect reading buddy um, because I love children's books. Even to this day, I will read the book with joy with her. Um, But I think she was reading, she was capable of reading chapter books by kindergarten. Not that she wanted to, she absolutely did not want to read a chapter book. She didn't want to read even a Junie B book. It was like, Picture books still totally, which was fine. There's definitely very challenging picture books. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, what's happening in the classroom wasn't matching what she was capable of. And I did try to advance her and they didn't want to do it in a way I felt like was best for my child. So I withdrew her. Um, And then I skipped her grade and whatever. I made all kinds of decisions. I, I really feel like you validated my decision making right now. Like, cause I felt like <laughs> kind of bad for her that she didn't get all of kindergarten, but I was starting to get the behavior calls because my child is not the 
sit sweet and be happy that she got the three Dr. Seuss books. She finishes it and then she's going to go mess with people <laughs> because she is bored because she finished it and then she'll go read it for people. And then she's stopping other people from reading, right? Like, which was happening where she was like answering all the questions and it just was, I just felt like I was trying to prevent an issue and I'm just happy to hear that. Not happy to hear you went through that. That's not good. Um, but like, oh no, it's fine. <laughs> but that you know that that's what children, as a child, you really wished someone would have helped you with. And I think that that's the missing piece that I don't know how to do in this podcast, how to bring children's authentic voices to this. Because sometimes I ask silly questions, and she just is like so silly. I'm like, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> but like I do think you know once we get past their silly answers they would have such great advice on how we can do this reading thing better because um, I do think there's a lot of people who don't believe that they love reading and coming away from book lovers day which I totally miss you guys sorry I don't know who I makes, missed it too who makes <laughs> these holidays up I just want to make a official complaint that who makes them up? People who want us to buy stuff on that day. Just saying. Oh, exactly. Exactly. <sighs> I didn't even know about it until you said something. And I was like, wait, there was a book lover's day? There was a book lover's day. I love day. books. <laughs> right. And then there were some people who posted some, I think, things on social media that said, well, we can't force children to love books. And I said, that's real. That's true. But why don't they love books? Because I'm on your side, right? Like, but why not? But why don't they mm-hmm. love books? Is Have we not find the book that really engages them? But I, I do think that there are some people who don't want to learn that way. But like, if you find a topic that they care enough about and they want to learn, they'll read that book. Um, and mm-hmm. so anyways, um, I'm just really excited that um, we're having this conversation and that anyone else who has a child that was like euthanasia or like my child who is also in the thick of things and feeling like I don't want to do the alphabet anymore. Like my parent exposed me so much, like I'm picking this up quickly and I'm bored. And so we have to meet all the learners where they are so they can keep that joy of reading. I mean, we still need to talk about the ones who are not even getting anything, right? Like close to what they need. But you, the readers like you, Tanisha, need stuff too. Like they need engagement. And um, so I just want to make sure we honor those children too, because I'm a parent of one of those children. And it's hard. I the Lack of a library. That's going to be an episode where I have to talk about that I have real issues with right now like it is a daily struggle oh you read all the books we just got yesterday oh my god 45 minute drive to get you more books but how can I keep the joy of reading alive if you don't have new books to read and you're not the rereader like that's not she's like I read that already I said read it again oh she's me yeah that's what I'm saying (laughs) we we have to engage the readers we have we have to have enough varied resources we have to have training um we have to get past not doing it right right so we can meet Mm -hmm. everyone where they are and we have the attention span to do it anyway so I'm happy we got to talk about that too. Um, But I am sad for you because (laughs) you did not like reading when you could have been reading all these big books. Um, How big was was it like a thick book? I've never heard of the book you were talking about, the bamboo one. Yeah. So it's a, yeah, it's a pretty thick chapter, chapter book. I think when I looked it up, because I was like, well, I wonder what happened because let's off on a cliffhanger. I never finished the series. I know. Terrible. I didn't realize that there were more books at the time <laughs> when I was young. I just was like, well, that's how I ended. It's a mystery. But now it's been too long, so I know I won't remember. And again, I'm not a rereader. So it'll remain a mystery um, from from now until forever. But uh, it was a middle grade book is what it's rated as now. So probably more so for middle schoolers. <laughs> deep topics in there there was war <laughs> um so it was kind of like a 
I don't know how to describe it, like a historical fiction type book, but um, that was my book that yeah. changed my view on. I don't honestly. I have a memory of Pop on Pop with my grandmother, and reading it mm-hmm. a lot, like the same book over and over. And I was like, "Wait, you bought me another book." And then they did. They got me all these other Dr. Seuss books. I remember that. And then I remember um, in second grade. So I, I'm assuming I read in kindergarten and in first grade, but I don't. I don't remember what I read. No clue other than Dr. Seuss. In second grade, I read Sudoku and a Thousand Paper Cranes and cried a river. Like just, it's about war, World War II, and um, this Japanese child's experience with leukemia post the atomic bomb. And I mean, yeah. my seven-year-old brain was like, the adult world is way bigger than I thought. I need to read way more. Okay, like I was like, what? What did we do? What did they do to children? And then she, if you haven't read the book, she dies. And then she dies. Oh, no. <laughs> so it was so it was so deep what? and it's reading this tragic book. No, but I think that that's our introduction. That's what kids want. They want real topics, and sometimes we don't know what they want. Um, some kids, right? Like some kids want unicorns mm-hmm. and fairies forever and ever. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. Like you said, engage them where they are. But I wanted deep, and I got it at second grade, and that's when I start remembering all the stories that I chose to read. Like you said, I chose to read mm-hmm. or the really good books at school that met me where I was that I was like, oh, yes, mm-hmm. like the diary of yeah. Anne Frank. I remember all the activities we did in that unit, everything. I was in it to win it. I do not understand my obsession with young children in war back then. I don't know where that came from. Um, but anyways. That was really good to learn about you. I'm so happy I learned that about you. <laughs> Did I miss anything else you want to share? Yeah, so this based off of what we were just talking about, um, it just made me think of something else where we should be allowing children to listen to audiobooks. Just because your child is only reading certain texts and that text is easier for them and it's usually meant for younger children, doesn't mean that you can't expose them to things that are a higher reading level, but through auditory comprehension. They can listen to books. You can ask them questions about the stories that they read. So um, the library, I don't know if your library has this, but mine has Libby. Um, and on the Libby app, you can download a lot of different books and they have free audiobooks. So I listen to stories, I read stories, and children should be able to do the same. I've heard so many people say that, oh, I don't want them to read um, books through Audible or listen to audiobooks because it'll make them lazy. And I'm like, that doesn't make them lazy. (laughs) It exposes them to more language. They're building their language skills. Them not being able to read does not make them lazy. They're actually working harder. So don't be afraid to introduce them to something that they can digest a little bit easier. I love that you said that because I'm really, really on like my own crusade, I think by myself, of trying to get, well, no, I found another lady who's like, yes, families should read together. I really think families should read aloud to each other, like take turns, pass the book around or have a reader of the day, reader of the week, whatever, make it a tradition, make it a way for us to connect again together, sharing stories, taking turns, sharing stories. Um, I got my child to read Sadako after I started reading it to her. She's like, I'm not reading that. I said, I read it to you. She said, okay, (laughs) you know? And so, but I think that coming from you, from a speech language pathologist to say that Listening comprehension is a skill that we absolutely need to build. I think I just want to highlight that, especially because when I look at, you know, the assessment results from whatever assessment um, a speech language pathologist gives, it's always like two main categories, right? Like expressive and receptive. And so like we can't Mm -hmm. just focus in my brain, like if you're looking at two, I, I should be looking at two. Parents should be looking at two, um, right? Mm-hmm. 
No, I definitely agree. That that's that those were those big two language pieces, the expressive communication and that receptive piece. We're taking in information. When we're reading, that is our receptive language skills. We're taking in that information. When we're writing, we're expressively communicating. So it's again, it's all tied together. And listening you can't just to, focus on one piece. And listening to a book is the receptive part of, you know, speech, right? So like we need to mm-hmm. focus on both parts as well there. So I think that's a very fair point. Oh, but I had a follow-up question about that. Yes. And then we're going to get to um, my last two questions for you. Uh, Do you think, because I'm definitely the person that's like, it's cheating. (laughs) Um, Because I'm teaching early readers, right? I'm teaching them to not want to use the pictures, especially if they're in a school system or a school where they're being asked to use pictures as cues. Um, So I'm like, take the video read-alouds away. What do you think about video read-alouds role? Like, what do you think we should use it for and what we should not use it for? I know what I say, and I can change my mind after listening to different people. perspective no I like how you pointed out what is their role versus we're just going to completely get rid of them they have a role you can listen to them and again that listening comprehension piece of language okay you can listen to the story what parts did you notice about the story what do you remember and then they're also getting that visual feedback of the story as they're going along you can do that with videos too for listening comprehension listening comprehension is not just for reading Mm -hmm. it's for building language so yes it definitely has a role and you're expressively communicating your response to what you saw so again as SLPs we're looking at that sentence structure what pieces are you missing we're looking at oral morphology as well Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of different components so there's not something that you need to get rid of but if you were trying to teach reading then no I would not have that um as the main source of material um I typically use a lot of things that don't have pictures. Um, usually like little passages that maybe I wrote myself or that I found and downloaded and used for my children. But um, no, I wouldn't use a, a video for reading. But picture books, there's a lot of picture books that aren't necessarily obvious of what the words say. I know those, um, what is it? Probably the Thousands and Pinnell ones were the ones that had like the picture where it was directly <laughs> related to what the child was reading so nothing like that those ones you could probably just cover up the picture if you have to use it but um definitely choosing some text and keeping it separate from the photo okay thank you for that clarification and I think I am going to revise my opinion because as you're highlighting this you know need for us to also support their listening comprehension skills their receptive speech skills that um, I do think like, for example, like a retail for a first grader is a perfect way to use that video and get their engagement, right? Um, Work on Mm -hmm. their listening comprehension and just also work on the retail orally, right? You said like listening to those elements are, do they have it in speech? Because if they have it in speech, they might just talk to themselves or I might tell them, just talk to yourself. What would you say to me? And then write it um, to translate. Or they may not have that writing skill, right? And this is the only way, this is an accommodation for them. So we really should, you know, take away the speech that was, or the print that was stressing them out and really just focus on them um, showing their comprehension with those listening skills and giving it back with speech. But yeah, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about this. I'm going to read. Yes, and I love how you tied in narratives because we work with narratives. Can you tell a story? Because think about all those times in life when you go out and do something and you need to come back and tell someone what happened Mm -hmm. and retell that story, especially when you're conversing with your friends. You're like, what did you, like, we talked, I don't know if this was on the, this was before the recording, when we talked about what what we did this weekend um, and you tell a story, I tell a story. You're taking that information and you're putting it in order and you're repeating it back to someone in a way that makes sense. So all those skills are very important. Yeah. So we can, we can use the videos appropriately. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, 
I am also curious to know more about what does actually individualized literacy teletherapy look like for interested parents that are like, I think I might need to get to Nyjah to assess my child for dyslexia. And if it's a yes, how can you help to Nyjah? We live not, we live in Michigan, but not in Detroit. So we want your services. What would you say? <laughs> yeah. So for me specifically, um, if they're within driving distance, I look for under an hour. Um, I'll drive to them. I do a comprehensive evaluation. That part is in person for me. Um, but taking that evaluation and looking at all the information that I gained, I look at what strengths we have, what areas that we can work on a little bit better, and I design a treatment plan for that child specifically. So no treatment plan is going to look the same for every single child because I have your specific profile. And again, I'm giving multiple standardized assessments. So it takes about four to six hours of testing to build up all of this information for that child. Um, so that's the, where the individualization piece comes from. I'm looking at your specific strengths, your specific weaknesses, and we're addressing those in a way that makes sense for you. Um, we're choosing words that you're interested in. So how you said Lily's interested in dinosaurs, then we are going to explore words about dinosaurs. Um, and you can break down morphology for younger children. That's not something that you have to wait for. Um, I've seen a lot of people discuss it online of, well, you teach morphology later. It's like, no, you teach it now. You can incorporate it now. There are ways to do that. So I incorporate it for my children. And we look at the spelling of the words and where with the telehealth piece, we get on a virtual platform and I'm able to pull up Edom online and we look at the etymology of words. We're able to pull up the dictionary. I can type in information and all of this is right in front of them. Um, they can still write on their piece of paper in front of me, but all of the words are kind of in one place instead of us kind of going to all these resources. They're all condensed to one screen. <laughs> As a provider of dyslexia tutoring who did out all in person pre-COVID, I didn't even know what Zoom was until COVID. I was like, what is Zoom? Interesting. Um, <laughs> no clue. Um, so I learned this when everyone else did, how to do, you know, telework, tele-anything. Um, but I think that that was a plus for me as a provider, because I have, like, I'm going to show my messy house. <laughs> <laughs> I Look see at it. Yeah, a lot of resources back there. This is just the word <laughs> cards. I mean, I'm not going to use all of them in one lesson, but like the amount of materials you'll pull in a lesson can sometimes physically feel overwhelming for the teacher, let alone the child. The child's like, can you organize your mess? Like I've had that happen in a lesson where like, I'm like, I'm sorry. There's a lot of new things to teach you. And I wanted it to be hands-on. Okay. Sorry. So mm -hmm. there's definitely an element of, for me at least, where, you know, we lose, we have these magnetic boards that I use um, in my program. But I think that, yeah, I think teletherapy for certain kinds of therapy, especially speech is like good online, especially because mm -hmm. you always have that video feedback of what your mouth looks like. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes, you can see everything in front of you. We're talking about sounds, talking about what our mouth is doing. I like to pull up x-rays, not x-rays, but um, ultrasounds and where my tongue is moving. Um, just different things like that. We can put all of these things in front of them. And honestly, prior to that, I was also using my computer. I would bring it in. So now the computer is already in front of you and it's popping up on the screen so you can see it. And again, the parent can sit there too for that support. So they're sitting there, they're taking in the information and they're learning because my goal is that eventually you won't need me anymore. Mm -hmm. You're going to be able to be independent with all the skills that you learned. So parents can learn how to redirect their child the way you do and sit off to the side and almost be not part of it. Um, you know, if they do it right. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And like, I, I don't mind if they get involved. A lot of stuff for speech is the caregiver coaching. So I'm usually like, here's how you do this. So I love it when they're all... <laughs> On the screen with me um even when I was in person I loved it when parents would uh, when I would work with my younger children be on the ground with me playing with toys I'm like and here's how you would do this and here's how we're gonna model language here I love it when parents get involved yeah. because then they can carry it over you know parents are gonna be that child's number one advocate they're always gonna be in their corner so I love them to learn 
what I'm doing so they can take it and use it themselves. Exactly. I feel the exact same way. Um, that's just like when I was working in the school system, when I found out SLPs had the same goals as I did often, when especially when it came to like reading struggles. So I was like, yes, me too. Let's do it together. What are you using? Visiting them. So when I have an active parent, I, I get so excited. So I'm, I'm glad there's other providers that are looking for active parents. And then sometimes you can't, parents can't for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, sometimes they've tried too much before they got to you and the relationship and trust between parent and child as a teacher and student has kind of been damaged, right? Like no one's fault, but like they just are triggered, right? And so those people, I'm just like, I know you can't reinforce any of this because he yells at you. I heard him yell at you last time you tried to say something in the lesson. So don't say anything. Mm -hmm. Don't trigger him. But like when we get to a place where, you know, we usually do where the parent can support, then we bring them back in. But that's the only time I've seen parents not want to help, especially if they're hiring a tutor. They're like, I can't. They're going to yell. You don't want, we don't want that. We want them to listen to you in this time. So I'm just going to watch. And I'm like, that's fine. Now I know. I will not bring you in. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, oh, yes. It's always hard when, you know, they've been told that they're not doing something correctly for the child. You know, they, they internalize all that and it makes reading not fun. I think, when you're told that you're bad at something, you know, that doesn't feel good. So I definitely understand where they're coming from. It's it's so hard um, to process all of that, but um, that's where we come in. We make therapy fun. <laughs> we try to engage them with their interests. So that way it's all connected to something that they like and makes them, you know, read a little bit easier. It doesn't have to be a task that's super overwhelming. We're going to work on it together. I always tell everyone, we're our team. We're working on this together. If you struggle with something, you just let me know and we can work through it. You don't have to go through it alone anymore. Right. And that's why they reach out for help. So they don't have to. And hopefully they have amazing provider like you who keeps it positive and joyful while also being like, oh, I understand where you're coming from too. All right. Last fun question. What is your favorite children's book and why? Oh, so hard. <laughs> I've been sitting here thinking, like, what's my favorite one? I don't know. I love so many books. So I feel like one of the recent ones that I posted about that I really, really love um, was Big. Um, that story about the young girl who's plus size and it just kind of takes you through her journey of she's being made fun of. All of these people are saying all these mean comments about her, but then she just kind of breaks through her shell and just tells these people that these are your words. They're not mine. Um, so I just loved how impactful that story is and just kind of making children aware that your words have a big impact on others and you should be mindful of that. Um, the author of that book is also the illustrator of that book. So you can really see that her words really match what she drew to go along with it. So it's just a very beautiful book. So I think that's one of my favorites right now. That does sound beautiful. I'm excited. Um, and if you guys did not know, um, Tanisha posts books like almost weekly every Saturday um, that really, I think, celebrate that diversity of children um, and what, you know, real children experience. And I think this all the stories every time I'm like, I need that one. I, I need that. <sighs> OK, ladies, stop recommending amazing books that I now have to purchase because I want to support these amazing, you know, authors and illustrators who are, you know, like telling such deep stories, right? Like these are some deep stories you choose um, in such joyful ways, right? Like I want to cry thinking about this big story, but I also saw the pictures and I was like, she doesn't want me to cry. She wants me to like, I mean, there might be a sad point in but like it looked like the pictures were about joy and celebrating who you are. And so I'm really excited about every Saturday. I'm like, what did Tanisha Honeybee Literacy recommend this week? Yes. And all of my stories are in my bookshop. If anyone is looking for any book recommendations, I try to compile them all in one place. 
um, and bookshop.org actually supports local bookstores. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so mm. Lily's birthday is coming up soon. I'll be hitting up your bookshop because we've already delineated which ones we want to get. <laughs> um, okay, but thank you for sharing. Um, you can find Tanija at Honeybee Literacy on Facebook and Instagram. You can also contact and learn more about her through her website, honeybeeliteracy.com. I am so grateful to have learned from you today, Tanija, and for you um, to join me. Oh, thank you for having me. I really had a great time. I loved hearing your different perspectives on things. So this was amazing. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening, parents. The purpose of this podcast is to ensure parents have a place to ask early reading questions, big or small. Every family story is valid. So please reach out if you want to share your early reading journey with us. Use the form link in the podcast um, description or contact me via social media. Until the next chat, happy reading, fam. Happy reading!